Hi, this is Danny Graham, and you're listening to From the Rookie End. Welcome to another 10th birthday podcast from the rookery end. From the from the rookery end. Mike, that's been a problem, hasn't it? For the last 10 years, we shouldn't have called the podcast from the rookery end because it just it causes issues, doesn't it? I do love the name. It's, it does what it says on the tin. But yeah, when you're saying from the from the rookery end, it does get very difficult. And uh, it, I tell you what, though, it does test whoever's interviewing you or whoever's <laughs> introducing it, doesn't it? Because if they get it right, it's uh, it's five bonus from the rookery end points. But uh, yeah, we still haven't still haven't cracked that particular thing after over the last uh, ten years. We've got a lot. Of, we've got better at a lot of stuff over the last decade, but uh, perhaps we haven't refined the name correctly just yet. But we'll uh, we'll see. I, I think we should keep it though. I want. I'm I'm so attached to it. 10 years of amazing memories and that little hiccup is uh, I think is one worth uh, worth keeping yeah yeah definitely as you say that you talk about like other people talking about us that's been one of the fun things with our podcast is going on different shows to talk about Watford we talk about Watford on on these podcasts all the time uh, and we we over the years Jason have got to meet some very very fine characters mostly ex-Watford players who, who have you enjoyed speaking to I think speaking to Wilf Rostrum was quite fun just based on the fact that I was able to introduce him to uh, to Knitted Wilf on the night. And he was certainly one of my heroes growing up as a a young Watford fan. So it was nice to speak to him and the rest of the guys that evening, going back to the 80s and sort of from a long, long time ago. And then sort of being able to relay that to my family, to my dad as well, who sort of first took me to those games and sort of talking about meeting those players. So, yeah, quite, quite enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed speaking to footballers and all the rest of it it's such an amazing thing that we get to do the two i enjoyed the most i think because of their their status let's say one was pat jennings uh that we mm. spoke to uh backstage at a tales of the vicarage event at, with adam leventhal at the palace theater he just he held himself like yeah. an absolute legend of football because he is really he played you know played top level goalkeeping from years and years ago until you know until the 1980s when we were we were you know young football fans and the other one is of course was Gianfranco Zola because yeah he's Gianfranco Zola and he just was exactly what you wanted him to be and didn't let you down Mike who else have you always enjoyed talking to Sean Dyche has always been yeah. been great to us. I think he's sort of we spoke to him when when he was at Watford and and he's remembered us since he's gone on to to be an established Premier League manager of course with Burnley, a Premier League manager that usually gets the better over over us. That's probably why he's happy to to talk to us. He's <laughs> always good value and I think you always get the sense when you speak to someone or oh, listeners are going to enjoy that and this and that's that's what I enjoy. Nigel Gibbs was is 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 terrific to talk to. Um and this guy is someone we don't talk about that often but um we we've, we've interviewed him once but Ray Lewington as well. Mm. And I sort of mention him in the same breath as, as Nigel Gibbs because they both, for me, epitomise what, what Watford is all about. And that is friendly, generous with their time, incredibly open, happy to talk about anything that, that you want to talk about. And just that embracing of what we're we're trying to do. It's easy. It would be easy to sort of turn your nose up at, at us, you know, three... Um, three middle-aged, slightly overweight chaps with a with a microphone taking up more of your valuable time, and these guys just just don't. They're happy to talk to us. They know that we're that we're going to be um, sharing their thoughts with Watford fans, and and that obviously means something to them. And that that is hugely rewarding. And it's quite 
it's quite emotional actually. I often come away from the, from from speaking to these guys thinking this is amazing. You you pour a lot into into supporting a football club. We all do. And we pour a lot into the podcast as well. And then to have experiences like that when it's so evident that those it's it's a, not a one-way street, it's two-way, that people like Nigel Gibbs, Ray Lewington um, and the guys that, that you've mentioned have such affection, such a strong affection for the, for the club that they're willing to, to be so generous and free with their time. It is so, so rewarding. Um, but those guys in particular, really, really friendly. John Eustace as well, of course, for me, is, is one that I still uh, dream of every night when I go to, to bed. Michael, watching you with your flattering eyelids uh, and warm smile towards John was, was the best thing for me watching that. The most interesting one I think we did was with Martin Taylor because he was such an intelligent fella and he answered our Donnie Darko question, which, uh, which, which you have to go back and, and find that podcast and listen to, listen to it. My ultimate favourite, though, is a, a non-Watford related, is completely random and it was the shortest interview... <laughs> Ever conducted on, um, ever conducted on from the rookery end. There's, there's one that didn't quite get off the off the ground, which was Craig Bellamy. He yeah. didn't want to, he didn't want to talk to us. But I did manage to grab a few words after I was uh, snubbed by Craig Bellamy with, uh, with Joe Calzaghi. <laughs> yes. Um, I can't quite remember what he said, but I asked him. We've been to see Watford lose at, at Cardiff. Cardiff flying high at the top of the Championship at that stage, and uh, I think I was sort of trying to ask Joe Calzaghi what he thought of Watford, and I think he thought. Uh, they were all right, or something like that. So it's <laughs> two, two or three words, an absolute push. But I can put on my CV that I've interviewed World Championship boxer Joe Calzaghi. And it was all done with a smile on his face. So uh, just incredible memories every, everywhere you look. It's been 10 years of... It's been up and down on the pitch, obviously. We've never been short of stuff to talk about, which is, which is obviously a blessing. Not Never really going to be a problem with, with me anyway. Um, but so rewarding to talk to, to people and just to, to realise just how much how important Watford Football Club is and the supporters of Watford Football Club continue to be to these these people it's it's been an absolute riot we lo- loved every minute and uh, here's to the next 10 of course Today's episode, though, is an interview with striker Danny Graham. Uh, he signed for Watford in 2009. Many of you will remember his two seasons with Watford. He came to us from Carlisle United. When he arrived, we weren't in the, the best circumstances. It was a very turbulent time. And when you're six foot strong strapping lad turns up from a lower league club it's fair to say that expectations weren't particularly high it would have been nice if he scored a couple of goals what's absolutely certain is that Danny Graham would go on to be what you could only deem to be a very popular player uh, and one of the most popular players of the last 10 years finishing up as our top goal scorer in both his seasons but particularly smashing 24 league goals and I think it was 27 goals in total in the 2010-2011 season his performance of course what else would you get for that is to be their Watford player of the season uh, and earned himself also a 3.5 million move to Swansea City who had been newly promoted to the Premier League we talked Danny a few weeks ago about life before, during and after Watford, including, of course, the infamous wearing of a certain vest on wear a vest for Danny Day. I sent you the photos the other day of a wear a vest for Danny Day. You know, what was that day like? And you knew, I'm assuming, that was probably going to be your last game for Watford at, at Vicarage Road, wasn't it? It was quite a surreal day, to be honest. Obviously, I had two great years at Watford and times I look back on fondly and you know it was it was a great part of my career so I really enjoyed it and the vest there obviously was was built up over the the course of the last week for the last home game of the season and 
the response that come out of it was was overwhelming and probably at that time I did think it was my last game I thought I felt as I was ready to move on and, and step up to the Premier League and you know that's how it come about um, if I wasn't going to go to the Premier League um, I certainly wouldn't have been leaving it was either the Premier League or I'll stay and, and carry on the good work I was doing at Watford The, the outpouring of sort of well, I'm going to call it love. Everyone's very sort of everyone fond of you. Everyone really impressed with what you did that year. Just been looking back over the last couple of days of some of the goals you scored that that season, and they were they were immense. But Watford fans really, really took a took a shine to you. No one had done as well as you had for a long, long time in front of goal. Did did you feel that? Did you sense that that it was it was quite a sort of seismic season in terms of sort of goal scoring at Watford? Yeah, um, obviously the first season I come in, I started off really well. Um, I think I remember having six of my first nine games and. Everything seemed to be going well, and then I had a bit of a dry patch, and you know that seemed to have affected the team as well, and performances dropped. And I remember Malky McIver and Heide Helgeson, who was a, a Watford legend at the time, and I found myself on the bench, and I think it was kind of the kick up the backside I needed to work harder and get back in the team and and make sure I was going to be the main man the following season, which was probably wait well, it is my best goal scoring season to date. Everything I touched seemed to have went in. We were. I remember being tipped for relegation at the start of the season. Not everyone had wrote us off, and you know, around the January time we were flirting with the playoffs. So it was a great season for the team and and me and personally for myself as well. You said it was your best goal scoring season. Any reason that you can think of why that was the case? No, I would like to have obviously hit twenty goals a season more than I have. I've got no idea. Everything just seemed to to fly in that season. I got a lot of. I think a lot of the. The team was built around to create chances for myself and, and Marvin Sordell, who had a, a great season as well. That Yeah, everything just seemed to click and, you know, for whatever reason, I ended up with 27 goals, which obviously I'm, I was delighted with. 24 in the league, I think it was. And like I say, the most important thing for me at, at that stage of my career was to build confidence, to to prove I could play the championship, having dropped down to League One with Carlisle and sort of having to prove myself there. The next step was to prove myself in the championship and I, I felt as though I'd done that well. Because at first, when you first came to Watford, like taking about you know even a bit further than that, what was it? Why Watford, and, and why at that point? What was it? The big pull for me was moving away from home. Uh, I was twenty three at the time, I think twenty two, twenty three, and I'd always lived up in the northeast, and I wanted to try something new. And when I got down there, and I moved into an absolute park. I felt comfortable every day. I went to training. I wasn't leaving till three, four o'clock. So I would spend a lot of time at the training ground, not necessarily doing extras all the time. There was a lot of table tennis going on and a lot of banter <laughs> with the lads. But um, my sole focus then became football. I didn't have any off-field um, distractions. And I feel as well that's why I, I kind of blossomed there. Because it's interesting that, that that it was a difficult time for Watford for a number of reasons, and it wasn't necessarily a side that was expected to to achieve much. And it's but it's great to hear that everyone enjoyed it so much. Did you, did you think everyone else around the club enjoyed themselves as much as as you did? Yeah, I think so. I'm obviously, Marky getting the job, and he created a, a close knit group within the squad we had. Um, obviously, at the time, money was tight, and there was times where we thought we weren't going to get paid, but. All us lads love going into training with, with Malky and, and Daishi. It seemed to pull us together a bit. And I think you could see that obviously the first season, I think it was leading up to the last two or three games, we weren't safe. And then we got the win at home to Reading and we finished up the season with a 4-0 win away uh, Coventry. So I think a lot of that has to do with Malky um, getting the boys together and getting them on side. And we all seemed to want to work hard for each other, which was a nice thing to have. 
and you hit the, that second season. You you hit the ground running personally, didn't you? Amazing. Uh, it was it was it a Friday night away at Norwich, the first game yeah. of the season, and uh, and beat Norwich, and and that set the season off to a great start for for us as supporters, and obviously you personally. Did it feel different that that the start of that season as opposed to the season before? Did it feel like you you personally were going to achieve more, and did it feel like the team as a whole could could do more than and and outstrip expectations, which was basically just to survive. I remember the big point for me was when Haider come back in and like I said before I was sitting on the bench and it was a kick up the backside I needed to be honest and finishing off the season I think I scored two against Redden and two against Coventry at the back end of the season and I thought as I went away for the off season was to work hard and make sure I was fit and start the next season and make sure I was kind of the main man and that wasn't an arrogance thing or anything like that that was just something I felt as I had to do to progress in my career and the, the first game at Norwich was, I think it was a massive confidence boost for everyone because we had been written off early doors and to go there and win 3-2 and, and put on quite a good performance stood us in good stead for the for the rest of the season, really. Like I said earlier, I've looked through that looked through those as a video on YouTube of all your goals, and without wanting to get too uh, blow too much smoke um, in your general direction, there was you know <laughs> left foot, right foot headers. It, it kind of had the lot, and you looked like a, <laughs> a guy who was just put on the put on the earth to, to score goals. And I was going to ask how how that came about, but it sounds like that just came came about through hot through hard work in the in the close season and a, and a bit of confidence. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I had a good pre-season uh, leading up to the start of the season. And I remember even as a little boy um, playing football and I used to I used to use a lamppost and a jumper and every every time I wanted to score, I had to try and get it in off the post. And, <laughs> you know, looking back now, that was probably something that's helped me, you know, without knowing that at the time, it's probably helped me in my professional career. So little things I look back on in that season is certainly one I'll always remember in my career. And I've obviously, I've went on to score 180 career goals so I haven't done too bad um, obviously with me having a sick, sticky spell at Sunderland as well You've mentioned a couple of games there and are you the type of player who remembers all your goals? <laughs> Sadly pretty much yeah <laughs> <laughs> There's one I'm thinking of is, it, is there, is there favourites let's say of that season? Whoa, a tough question because I didn't score many outside the box so there were never really worldies to say um, they were mostly put I remember there was one against Hartlepool in the FA Cup I've, I've run across the field and uh, I remember Lloyd Doyley running up on the outside of me and everyone was screaming, pass the ball. And <laughs> I, I remember Doyley's record, so I thought I'd take a swing with it with my left foot and it's bouncing off the, off the top of the post. So I'd probably say that was my favourite one. The one I, I remember, like yeah. I think seeing seeing you as absolute, what I thought as a, a, a strike in absolute confidence was your goal away at um, Millwall because yeah. that was 6-1 yeah. win. And you literally just got the ball. Literally, you got the ball and you, you, just, you just shot. You just had a go yeah. and it went, you know, you would chip box. And it, it was almost like you had that absolute confidence. But what about that goal against Middlesbrough? You scored within, is it? Yeah, 1.5 seconds, I think. Yeah, that was, that was good. I still mentioned that to Wheat. Uh, obviously, I come through the youth team and reserves with uh, Wheat at uh, Middlesbrough. So I always mention that to him when I see him. But, yeah, that one was that one was just a bit of an off chance one. Obviously, it was early in the game, and I don't think you see me running on the blind side of him. And he's passed the ball back to Steely, who obviously who I knew, know as well from my time at Millsburg, went around him. That was probably quite a lucky goal in terms of he, he didn't see where I was running. But a lot of the times the goals I scored, every time I shot, I felt as though it was going to go in. And, that was a confidence I had at that time. The goal you scored, the quick one against Middlesbrough, good because it's a really quick goal against your old side as well. Do things like that make those goals mean more to strikers or, or is that not the case? 
I don't think it's a case. I think as the game goes on, you probably become a bit more selfish. I remember the Millwall game. I was my goal the fifth, I think, or fourth or fifth? Yeah, fifth. So I remember when the ball dropped to me, I was thinking, shoot, everyone else has scored today. So <laughs> it's it's kind of, I need to get my name on the goal sheet as well. So stuff like that. The, the early ones are obviously great for the obvious reasons. It gets you in front early in the game and it probably lifts confidence earlier than, you know, if you score in the 30th minute or, or later on in the game. In that season, I went and looked again. You look up the, the, the run that you had and it is literally, if, if you scored Watford won, there are only three games where you scored and Watford lost. Looking at it, you had some absolute amazing patches where you literally scored one game after the other. You had massive, massive hot streaks, but then other times where you weren't scoring as many. What was that? You know, your first season, you sort of, you can put that down to, you know, selection. Was there something just maybe, you know, not, it got not too much for you, but like it was just such a big event for Danny Graham to score a goal. Did you ever feel that? At times I felt as though I was, I was probably towards the end of the season, I was probably more closer and people took more notice of me by that time. I remember, I think I was on 27 goals with probably seven, eight games to go on. Looking back, I should have I should have been 30, 30 plus. So at the time, you don't really think about it. Looking back, yeah, maybe I was a marked man a bit more, thinking if it can stop me scoring, then you've got a good chance of, of winning the game. I don't know, but to still score 27 goals and, and have not so good patches as well uh, kind of speaks volume for the season I had, I think. Just to round off that that season, Danny, yeah. that 2010-2011, it was, it was a really, really good season. I think it was a, a breath of fresh air for us as Watford sports. We didn't have to worry about yeah. relegation. There were obviously rumblings going on off the pitch. So how do you how did you feel at the end of that season? You're obviously your move came about, but, but perhaps as we as we move towards the end of the season, were you thinking right? I, I want to get out of Watford. Things aren't quite here. We're obviously not going to get where I want to be personally. Or did you think that perhaps there was an outside chance of the playoffs? And when it finished, I think another four wins, Watford would probably be in the playoffs. You know, we'd comfortably yeah. avoided relegation. I think at 20, yeah. 25 points clear, it was never never in the picture. So was there? You know, football fans were always green and I guess strikers are too was there an element of sort of oh so near so far in terms of wanting to leave and stuff that was never on my mind I had a, I had lots of interest in the January um, several teams had been on the phone and were ringing me up and asking me to go but I sat down with Malky and Malky said he wanted me to stay he asked me if I wanted to stay and my answer was point blank yes um, I didn't want to move in the January I I felt as I was, I was going to have a, a really good season, which it, it turned out to be. And I thought at that point, the the best thing for me to do was stay, uh, finish the season, and hopefully see if we can get in the playoffs. Obviously, we didn't do that, but I wanted to give me all because I enjoyed my time so much at Watford. I didn't want to leave halfway through a season when we were we were within touching points of the playoffs. Was there any any Premier League uh, interest in that January? Do you remember who was uh, who was interested, Danny? There was a couple of teams interested in at the uh, at the time oh, off the top of my head. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. United. There was a lot Paul. going on back. <laughs> yeah, I turned them down to be honest. I <laughs> there was a lot of going on, but I remember sitting down with Malky and I remember sitting down with my agent. I said, I don't want to hear about it. I ain't leaving. I'm happy here at the minute. I think in the in that January, I actually signed a new deal to be honest. So it was, it was never going to happen, but. Um, I certainly didn't want to jump uh, ship halfway through the season. 
A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Boys will groan when I say this, uh, Danny, but I'm a bit of a um, John Eustace fanboy. He's one of my favourite yeah. um, favourite players watching. He was skipper for the majority of that, of that season, that second season where he scored all those goals. What was he like to play as under as a, as a captain and uh, what sort of impact did he have and how did he help you and players on uh, in that team? Well, we were quite a young team, to be honest, and he usually was a, a kind of father figure for most of us at the time. And well, I me remember too, when I first come in. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first come in, and he was he was kind of on his way out, to be honest. And then we had a few injuries, and he played some games, and he ended up staying in the team, and he played unbelievable pretty much the whole season. And in terms for myself, I remember when I was going in, he he kind of helped me and took me under his wing a bit and if I ever needed anything or any advice you know I could go to him and, and ask him questions and he was a real great captain a real great player and most importantly a great guy Any good at t- table tennis? Nah he wasn't the best to be fair <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't the best You mentioned Lloyd earlier as well um, and yeah. you were on the pitch when Lloyd scored his header against Queen's Park Rangers yeah. well, What were you thinking when that went in? I, I remember there was a pitch and me and Clevs are kind of dragging him to celebrate he didn't know what quite know what to do bless him but Lloyd's another one Lloyd's a, obviously he's a Watford legend we all know that and he's another great guy and to be there and, and be on the pitch when he, when he scored his first goal after after all that time was a, a pretty special moment as well The players you played up front with um, sort of do vary in terms of Watford legend mm. first of all you know you did play a few games with Tommy yeah. Smith and Hyder first with Tommy was what did you get from him even in that short space of time when I first went there what I noticed about Tommy was his, his dedication the way he trained he trained as if everything was the last time he was doing it and that was something for me uh, no disrespect to Carlisle but moving from Carlisle to, to Watford and going to play with that calibre of players was, was great for me to see how they kind of went about their training how about how they went about what they eat and, and everything that comes and you know football's becomes everything whereas probably a Carlisle I didn't see it that way so to learn stuff off players like that um, I remember Joby, Joby McEnough was there at the time as well who was a, a big figure in the dressing room for a little while and great to, to witness that and even though it was a short space of time it was enough time for me to, to learn stuff off them And Hyder as well I mean I know you said that he was sort of he came in was competition for you he was towards the end of his career yeah. you know, as, what about him did it you know was it just the ability to jump 50 feet in the air or it feels like that anyway he, he could he could jump and like head anything couldn't he yeah. what was it what, what about Hyder Hyder was great obviously you talk about his, his leap was incredible he could turn a bad ball into the box into a good one somehow um, Again, um, Haider sort of allowed me to see a different side to how to hold the ball up a bit better, link up play, because a lot of when I first come, I was probably more running in behind and trying to stretch defences. Haider showed me a different side to it. Obviously, he didn't have the pace at the time, that stage in his career, to maybe run the channels as much as you know us younger lads could have then, but certainly his hold-up play, his heading ability, um, which was something I certainly needed to improve on uh, as a as a centre forward was was good to see. He charged around the pitch like an absolute maniac, didn't he? But we're sort of led to believe he's a bit more of a quieter chap off the pitch. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, he's, he's very quiet around the, the dressing room. A good dry sense of humour, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. He didn't get involved too much, but when he did, he was he was quite dry with it. But it was also funny. I think he was he was great to have around the dressing room, certainly for us younger lads, because uh, like I said before, there was a lot of us at the time. 
someone that was as large off the pitch as they are on it was was Troy Deeney, who who arrived while you were there as well, Danny. What sort of impact did did he have on you coming in? Because you were you and Marvin were, were quite settled, weren't you? And scoring a lot of goals. Another striker coming in. He said Heider gave you a kick up the backside. Yeah. What, what sort of impact did did Troy have? What did you think of him and and vice versa? And we are speaking to him in a couple of weeks, so you can get your yeah. get your digs in first <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> no, no digs. But I remember it was a. I think Troy signed and travelled the night before the Norwich game so it was quite yeah. late and then me and Marvin started and obviously we won and you know I think the first season Troy will probably admit it was a bit frustrating for him because because of what me and Marvin were doing and probably the team was doing and it was probably a bit unfair to change the team because we were doing so well um, which Marky was great at and he was great at the mind management side as well keeping everyone happy who wasn't playing but Troy come in and Obviously, you know, I remember saying to Marv before the Norwich game, like, this is our shirt to lose now. Um, we need to perform, we need to score goals and, and make sure we stay in the team. So it, I've always said competition as a forward is is the best thing you can have because it keeps you on your toes. And if you go two or three games without scoring, then you know someone's waiting and capable to take your place. It could be argued, though, in that first season, he wasn't much competition for you. He was a very, you know, the person, you know, we, we've interviewed him over 10 years, several yeah. times. And every time I've spoken to him, he's a very different person. We interviewed him five years ago just before promotion. And it was, uh, you know, he'd been through it all by that point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, was there, was there anything that you saw that you thought, yeah, you're going to be, you knew Marvin quite well yeah. and you'd played a year with him and you could sort of see, you know, he was still younger than you, um, but what he could possibly do. But with Troy... Did you ever think he could do what he sort of he's done? I don't mean necessarily in terms of scoring goals, but the the figure he is at the club now. No, if I'm being perfectly honest, I couldn't have seen him going on to play for the club for what is it now ten years maybe over a hundred goals for the club captain. You know, probably a big big figure within the Watford fans and and everyone, and he'll he'll go down as a Watford legend and rightly so. But I I think if you ask him the same question, I think he probably wouldn't have seen it as well. But that's down to him and he's obviously had his ups and downs which has been well documented but he's still there today, he's still captain, he's still scoring goals and he's still doing Watford proud so he's a credit to himself really. You know, you said you said you know you had the older figures of Tommy and and Hyder, Troy, this young whippersnapper coming in. Yeah. But it, with your, your relationship with Marvin, it absolutely thrived. His big season with us, I suppose, was the following year. But this was really his his year to sort of step up. Was there a certain you know you being an older brother figure for him? Yeah, certainly. I've, I've kind of done that throughout my career. Even even if I have been twenty three, twenty four, I've always I've always tried to help the young lads and and fill them full of confidence and. You know, I, I, when you see Marv, you could see all the attributes he had. He was quick, he was strong, he, his left and right foot. You'd, sometimes you don't know, you didn't know which foot was his natural one. I felt as though it was right to try and help Marv and sort of mentor him and help him out in training and stuff like that. And it was more of a, Marv was quite raw at the time and it was trying to put everything together. You know, obviously some games he was unplayable and some games he, he found quite difficult, but I suppose that's all part of learning the game and he never seemed to. Uh, when I was there, he never really seemed to get down on himself. So it's a shame what what gone on since with all the stuff he's he's had going on. But he was certainly at that time a, a very hot prospect. What about the other boys around that that squad? Who do you think were the the key members, be it slightly senior or even the, the young? Because you say it was a young squad. Who yeah. were the sort of the heartbeats? Even some of those boys who sort of came in, like like Jordan Much had come in, Andy Taylor would come in for a little bit. But then someone like Martin Taylor and Adrian Mariapa 
where they played the same. You know, you, you both, you all three of you played forty nine games. Actually. Yeah, big tails and, and maps were obviously massive figures. Eustace, um, Doyley, Doncowie. We had quite a few players who would try and pull the young lads through and and give them as much encouragement as they needed. And like I say, I think we we had a great squad. And if we had the money, maybe to improve in, in the January and get two or three players in, I, I certainly think we would have been able to, to make the playoffs. Like, do you still speak to any of the uh, any of the old team? Yeah, I still speak to Maps and Doily. Um, remember young Matty Witchlaw? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's doing Instagram lives and stuff like that. So I've said I would go on one of them with him and. You know, helping promote his Instagram live stuff he's doing. He's just a Marvin Sordell, and I think he's got Marriott there coming up and, and stuff like that. I still speak to them. Obviously, not as much as I would like to with me being up here and three kids. It's, it's hardly easy to <laughs> jump on the phone and, and ring and sort out a meet up. But yeah, I still speak to them. And obviously, it's, it's nice to see Maps back at the club and, and doing well as well. One relationship that you had, though, that was with Stephen McGinn, because the first vest had been basically, shut up, guys, I'm the champion of the yeah. table tennis. The, the second one, though, was specifically for Stephen. Now, was that something specifically with, for, for him because of his injury, or do you think it was actually more that summed up actually how the whole squad felt towards each other? So the whole thing kind of, the vest actually started to um, will the kit man. He was the one who taught me to wear the vest against Portsmouth on Sky. Then after uh, Stephen had done his cruciate away at Doncaster, we played Millward home. I remember Will saying, uh, why don't you do a vest um, in, in, in support for Stephen McGinn and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, I fancy myself to score today and managed to get the goal. And obviously that's where the, the vest sort of trend come from really if you could take one of that side 2010-11 if you could take one of them to to join you at Blackburn who would you grab in a selfish one I'd probably take Don Cowie yeah Mm. for the amount of assists and hard work he he used to put in I remember he's he's running stats with through the roof every game but not only that he had quality on the ball and a lot of my goals were probably down down to Don really it might surprise a few but I'll probably take Don, uh, Don Cowie I actually, I was watching the goals and I saw him. It was a really—I can't remember if it was a, a cross or it was a really nice ball from from Don Cow, and you you slotted it away. And Don Cowie actually ran away celebrating as if he'd if he'd scored it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, which, yeah, that so was that, Middlesbrough. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, it was yeah. Middlesbrough. Yeah. <laughs> it was not like not the one game he he wouldn't want him to steal your moment, and he's gone off celebrating your goal. But that did make me chuckle. But I think he was pretty underrated, wasn't he? Perhaps as Watford fan, I think as, t- as his career went on at I Watford. Think so. But what a player he was. Yeah, I think so. I think he was very underrated, to be fair. Not just for his work rate, which I've mentioned, but like I say, his deliveries and, you know, he, he was better on the ball than people think, to be honest, mate. And I, I remember training with him and uh, possessions, he'd very rarely give the ball away. Another one who's, you know, 1,000% dedicated to football. Everything is football-related, off the field, on the field. He was completely driven by football and he was a great guy as well to match so. That's the reason I'll probably take Don. From the rookery end, you went off to to Swansea. Yeah, it was it was all the, all on the cards. I mean, when we came up with the idea for where Vesta Danny Day, it was knowing pretty much because um, we're Watford fans and players have yeah. always moved on from Watford. That this this was your moment. Was it you know was it was that a hard thing to? to make that decision and you know, was Swansea the only club that was, was going to be after you? It was hard. I'll go back to um, signing that new deal in January. We we got a release clause in there 
which was good for the club and good for myself. It was a deal to make sure everyone was happy. You sit in the season and if someone comes in with this figure, you can go. I knew it was going to be my last game, obviously, because of the interest. I remember speaking to Roy Hodgson, Neil Warnock at QPR and then Brendan after the playoff final, after they beat Redden. And within, I'm going to say, five, ten minutes of sitting down with Brendan, I, I kind of knew where I was going to go from, from just speaking to him, really. What was it? Just him? His vision? Was it? What was it? Him, his vision, the way he trained, the way he wanted to train and play the games was just seemed set up for, for me to go there and, and try something new and, and be part of. And obviously, I think we finished 11th the first season in the Premier League, which was a great achievement because, again, we were pretty much wrought off to, to go straight back down. Yeah, and you scored 14. You say the fee was three and a half million. Did, did that put yeah. any pressure on you? Not really. The only pressure I really had is, is really putting on myself to be honest I've been in the game a long time and uh, you know everyone has an opinion whether it's good or bad so you, you just have to kind of block that out and, and go about your business you, you know the best way you know how and, and that's on the football pitch so there was quite a big deal of it in Swansea because it was their record uh, transfer at the time and, and stuff like that I had a great first season there and you know hopefully paid back what what they paid for me. It was a slightly peculiar time at Watford for, for a number of reasons, which I'm reading between the lines, I'm sure you know what I'm getting at. Was there any was there any worry that what was happening off the field at Watford might impact on your on your transfer or do you just let the agent and the and the clubs take care of that? Never been really one to, to let that stuff bother me. My sole aim is to is to play football on a Saturday or, or Tuesday whenever it is and whatever else goes on, just let it be and whatever happens happens and I never really try to pay too much attention to it all and like I say just concentrate on on the job in hand which was to score goals and and play well and you did and I think as I think it's testament to your Watford career short as it was and the success you had and people could tell I think that you were you were a decent bloke I think we as Watford fans were really pleased that you did so well at at Swansea and it was uh, we felt quite sort of proud of you without wanting to sound sound too daft but so what happened at Swansea how did that come to an end so obviously the first season I'd, I'd done really well and scored 14 goals and you know thought that was a decent return for a team who'd just been promoted and then Brendan left and went to Liverpool. Michael Loudrop come in and to be fair it was, it was just one of them things. Uh, he signed Michu from Rio Vallecano for two million pound and you know he probably had his best ever season um, yeah. in terms of goals and he was he was something special to be honest. He's former and, and a call up to the. The Spanish national team and I remember I scored three games in a row and then found myself out of the team and was thinking I need to be playing football obviously if I'm if I'm scoring in three games in a row you, you expect to play the next game that didn't happen and then found myself out of the team again and become a bit frustrated with it all and that sort of accumulated with the move to Sunderland really. How does that how do you deal with that Danny because obviously you'd been with Middlesbrough you sort of think pretty close to to making it uh, you know you think right I'm in here I'm uh, close to home it's all it's all going to plan and then obviously you had to drop down to to Carlisle then you had to build yourself up again with with Watford and then you get this great move to to Swansea things are going well and then it's sort of kind of like oh crikey it's sort of slipping away again how, how do how do you deal with that it was quite tough to be honest um like you say especially after the first season and when in the start of the second season and I think we beat we beat QPR away 5-0 West Ham at home 3-0 the first two games and managed to score in the West Ham game and, and then after that I was was kind of out the team which was which was tough to take and then get back in the team so I was some goals and then back out the team again it was hard to take and my only interest in football has always been about playing and racking up as many games as I could and as, as many uh, goals as I could and 
I'm not for one to be sitting around on the bench and, and twiddling my thumbs and, you know, just being content with what's going on. I, I always feel as though I can help and, and impact. So at that time, I felt it was the right thing to do, uh, move on. Because we've always watched, I don't know if you have, but I've watched the uh, the Sunderland Till I Die uh, documentary on Netflix. And it, 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 you know, that wasn't the years that you were yeah. there, but it didn't seem a club that was particularly uh, healthy uh, in terms of how how it was trying to you know survive as a football club that that must have been a terrible environment sort of to go into and try and hit the ground running you know assuming for financial reasons then start just sending you out on on loan so much you, you could never felt surely you weren't ever settled no uh, probably the the first two weeks which is normally you, you're getting settled in to your new surroundings and you know new manager and players and ways that you want to play and, and stuff like that and then Martin O'Neill got sacked so the start couldn't have went any worse, and then Paolo De Canio come in, uh, found myself out of the team, training with the young lads in the young lads' dressing room, back in the team, and that kind of seemed to be, you know, I was always brushed aside, and then, you know, after training hard and doing well in training, getting back into the fall, so it was a turbulent time up there. It was tough, but that's just part and parcel of football. Um, I can't put a reason on why it didn't work out. It just didn't. And probably more gutted about that not working out than, than people think. But take your highs with your lows. How difficult is it moving then sort of from club to club as a loanee? Or, or is it a relief because you're actually being able to play football? My first loan was Middlesbrough. But as I'd moved back up home, I'd, I bought the house in the northeast area and, and settled. And then my loan was to Middlesbrough after that. And, Again, that was to go and play football. I finished the season there. I think I scored about six in the last 17 games. So it was good to get out playing again and then went back to Sunderland and found myself out of the team again and then ended up going on loan to Blackburn Rovers. And Blackburn's similar to Watford in my eyes in terms of how much of a family club it is and the fans are great and I just felt homely and, and that's what I've probably... I didn't feel so much at Sunderland as I did at Watford, Swansea and um, Blackburn. You would have been a new dad through most of that, wouldn't you? Yeah. You've gone to Blackburn. You almost like you found a new home. You've now made more appearances for Blackburn than you did for Watford. Yeah. So I think that now qualifies you for the Blackburn Legends team when you retire. <laughs> Is that sort of the process of going through all these loans and visiting all these clubs a few years more on you, being a dad? Was it was it a different approach for you at Blackburn, your sort of place within the squad? Yeah, so obviously when I went on loan to, to Blackburn, uh, Paul Lambert was in charge and he took me in. Jordan Rhodes had just left. He took me in and said, listen, you're going to be playing week in, week out. And that was the case. And I'd done really well from the January to the end of the season. And, you know, signed permanently in the summer. And I've really enjoyed my time at Blackburn, mainly because I've played, which is the most important thing to me. We've had relegations. We've had ups and downs. We've had tough times with the owners and protests and stuff. But I can ha- honestly say, hand on heart, I've loved every minute of it. It's, it's obviously not normal times at the moment, but if we can sort of transport ourselves to, to before all this 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 lockdown and and fo- football being being stopped happened how do you see the next steps what do you see as the as the target could you do you still see the the premier league as a target can you still do a job up there in the in the top flight listen i'm coming up 35 in august we're we're three points off the playoffs and you know fingers crossed if these games get uh, can go ahead if everything's safe to do so then we've got a right chance of getting in the playoffs if we got promoted you know being out of contact would I stay i don't know hand on heart if I would probably be able to cope with that level at my age so it'll be something I'll have to sit down and consider but as it stands you know we're within touch and distance of the playoffs uh, like I said it's up in the air with the game so 
I don't really know, to be honest, uh, is the answer to that one. You've had an incredible career and, and we've talked a lot about your, your time at Watford and we enjoyed enjoyed seeing you there. When you're in the sort of in the middle of being a professional football, it's pretty busy. There's lots of training, there's Saturday, Tuesday, mm. Saturday, Tuesday. Do you ever look back and think, oh, I learned that at Watford? Or is there anything that you particularly take from your time at Watford that you, you put into practice or that, that, that helps you at Blackburn now? I'd probably say the relating to the Haider and Tommy Smith about training as if it's your last mm. last session, last game. Um I'll probably do that more so now than I've done in the last six, seven years to be honest. Um, you know, trying to prolong my career and, and eating the right foods and doing the right amount of training and, and stuff like that is probably the biggest part. A lot of people say you you do certain amount of shooting drills and stuff like that. I do practice it, of course I do, but not to the extent people might think it's kind of a, a natural talent, if that makes sense, if you've got it. And sometimes you don't need to overwork it. And there's, there's other aspects of your game what what need working on more to benefit the team than, than work, just working on the fini- on your finishing side of it. I think strikers have to, to be pos- positionally right, to work hard from the front, being the first line of defence. Like I said before, link-up play I found off Haider was, was a massive part of the game. So there's lots of different aspects to, to be working on and stuff like that. If you had a, you know, to finish up, Danny, you know, if, if, you, if yeah. you had a, a message for, like, for the Watford fans, lots of them are, are still around. You know, it's not like you were playing in the 1970s. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, it, it, it has one of those, I think as a you know I'm 40 it was yeah. that 2010-2011 was a very Watford season punching above our weight basically and we're sort of doing that at the moment in the Premier League but is there something you know a message and stuff you'd like to, to say to the Watford fans you know looking back 9-10 years probably a massive thank you for for sticking by in the club really um, because there was some uncertain times potential of the club going bust and into liquidation when I was there administration and stuff like that so to stick by the club and the players think everyone's getting their just rewards now with them being in the Premier League and, and doing well. So a massive thank you, I would probably say. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Remember, From the Rookery End is part of the Athletic Network and because of that, as a listener to our podcast, you can get a free 90-day trial to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end uh, and on there you can sign up and find out what the athletics all about there is already an interview up there uh, that adam leventhal did with danny graham a few months ago but it, it's these sort of look backs uh, and in-depth interviews that are happening quite a lot at the moment and it's worth getting your 90 day free trial to find out a little bit more about what the athletic is all about it's it's odd mike listening to what danny has to say just how how important he was at that time, but how in the history of Watford, maybe Danny won't be down, go down in history. You know, he won't be that player we talk about a lot. Mm. But for me and for us who went through it, he means an awful lot. But you know, maybe in 20 years time, I don't know. I can't think of a player who would I liken him to because I don't remember that player. <laughs> yeah, it's. I know exactly what you mean. Events have kind of, of have overtaken Danny Graham, haven't they? But like you say, like you allude to there, John, we he was so important to us as supporters at that time. Yes, we had the youth coming through, and we were very proud of that. We spoke to Nick Cox about that in in uh, the podcast earlier this week. 
but we actually needed to win some football matches and we actually needed something to sing and cheer about on the uh, on the terraces as well because otherwise we're only going to get relegated probably quite frankly and Danny Graham really did give us that unexpected um, goal scoring hero and you do forget that he was only there for two seasons but in terms of if you're if you're only going to have a two two season career at Watford what a way to do it he scored stacks of goals stacks of brilliant goals and uh, yeah he burned bright but brief didn't he and I think he was important on so many levels great great for the club at that time uh, great for us as supporters and may well have may well have kept us in the division twice during during two of the darkest potential seasons in our in our, career, in, in our Watford supporting career we ended up staying up comfortably both years when really we had no right to, to be quite as comfortable with everything that was going on in the, in the threadbare squad so yeah uh, it's sort of curate's egg, isn't he? A brilliant, brilliant player, but not not quite like hero status, but certainly, um, I don't know, temporary hero status sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? That's not what I mean at all. Everyone will look fond, back fondly on, on, on Danny Graham's time at, at Watford. Great to hear him talking there and, and obviously great to hear how uh, how fondly he looks back on it as well. And uh, yeah, I just the one regret perhaps is that it wasn't, wasn't longer, but events transpired to, to make sure that, that wasn't possible, didn't they? Yeah, I think you say it was a dark time. I think it was a shady time, um, you know, for oh so many reasons and, uh, and a few people around the club. Thank you again for, for Danny and his time. Uh, tomorrow we have got a best of uh, all the best bits. And there are a few before you start replying and you know uh, tweeting us saying that there are none there are a few uh, of all the great things that, uh, that we feel we've done uh, across this this 10 years of recording from the Rooker Inn. and of course that's Thursday Friday we have our interview with the one the only Mr Troy Deeney thank you very much Michael no problem and just to put people's mind at rest in case they were concerned I wasn't wearing a vest for Danny while speaking to him and while recording <laughs> and thank you very much Jason thank you Thank you